It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is Joan Maxwell. Joan grew up in rural Fairfield, North Carolina, and graduated from UNC, where she received a BA in history. In 1988, Joan and her husband Owen founded Regulator Marine in an abandoned A&P grocery store in Edenton, North Carolina. Regulator is now operating in a 121,000 square foot manufacturing facility with over 200 employees and is one of the most well-respected center console brands in the boating industry. Joan and her team transitioned Regulator Marine from a job shop manufacturing process to a highly sophisticated lean manufacturing operation. Joan focuses on learning innovative ways to improve the business that God has entrusted to her care. She is a member of the C12 Group, a Christian-based leaders roundtable that focuses on building better businesses for a greater purpose. Joan Maxwell, welcome into the corner office. Thank you, Brant. It's a pleasure to be here today. Oh, it's wonderful to have you here, and you have had a busy schedule, and I want to hear a little bit about that, traveling from all parts all over the world, from what I understood, so I'm um, really keen to get in and hear a little bit more about your background, but let's start with the early years. Tell us a little bit about you know where you grew up and what your early family life was like. I grew up in a great family, and um, I'm one of four children, and my family uh, was made up of a lot of good Christian people, particularly my mom and my dad. And so uh, there's that adage about being uh, drug, and we were drugged to church morning and noon and night if there was church. So we grew <laughs> up in church. So it was a, I love it. It was a it was a great growing up. I grew up in a very very small town, and uh, as I said, one of four children. So went yeah. to school at the local high school, and had the uh, privilege and honor to go to the University of North Carolina. Where were you in the pecking order? Oldest, youngest, somewhere in the middle. I'm the second oldest. Okay, got it, got it. So kind of raised some of the young ones as well, or were you all pretty close in age? We're all pretty close in age. From oldest to youngest, there's seven years difference between all of us. So we were all pretty close. Um, but my mother worked. So we were okay. um, often at home um, doing the chores necessary to keep the house running as um, sure. right. cooking and doing all those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what kind of work did your mom and dad do? My dad was a forest ranger. And um, so he he fought fires and right. for the state of North Carolina. 
My mother uh, did some bookkeeping work, and she was also um, the postmaster for the little post oh. office there, and um, okay. all of 300 people. So I always put a return <laughs> address on everything I send out because of my mother. You were trained well, right? <laughs> yes. With a zip code, preferably. A- right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> what kind of things do you remember growing up? You said, you know, obviously drug to church, and I'm sure that became uh, something that was a very common thing for you and your your parents um you know other any other inspirations anything that you remember growing up that uh you know you admired about them or things that uh inspired you as you were young what i admired about my parents was that my parents somehow uh, managed to make it possible for me to do almost anything that I mm. wanted to go. If I wanted to go to a camp or to um, go on a school trip, um, they made it possible to do that. I, I don't know how they did it on the on the limited income that they had raising four children to do that. Wow. And did you live in sort of a rural area? Were you in a city? What what was the, you know, kind of the surrounding um, surroundings there? Uh, Fairfield was a very, very small community, 300 people. The whole town, the whole county has uh, 5,000 people in it. So it's very, very rural. In fact, it's uh, probably one of the most rural counties in North Carolina. So, uh, yeah, it, uh, the adage down that some people use is fish farm or leave when you grow up. You know, <laughs> uh, so obviously I did not either fish or farm. So, so you ended up leaving, uh, right? Yes, I, but, I, but I didn't get far, Brent. Uh, I'm 60 miles from home. Nice. And how many churches were in that town? Ah, uh, golly, there are three, four churches in that little town. Yeah, nice. And you know, did you come to Christ early? At, you know, in your in your upbringing, was that something you came to later as an adult? Tell us a little bit well, about the role he played in your life. Well, I grew up knowing about God, and I was baptized at a fairly early age, and I grew up learning a lot about the scriptures. But it was really yeah. as an adult that I understood the relationship piece of Mm. being a true child of God and what that means to be a child of God. Was that before getting married or is that something that you and Owen shared as you kind of grew up together and and grew your business together, which we'll get to in a minute? (laughs) Well, actually more um, as an adult. Again, I I went to church. I did all those things that you're supposed to do because you say you're a Christian. Right. And, right. Um, but the real owning of my faith came much, much later. And that, um, you know, even having taught Bible studies and done things like that, really not fully understanding and claiming the true relationship with, with Jesus. And uh, so once I did that, I understood freedom like I'd never understood freedom before. Were you a good student in school back in those early days? I was a good high school student. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I and I don't. I never really had to study. You know, I could kind of get by. And um, I was not a good student in college. There were a lot of things to be involved in. I, you know, right. was involved with Campus Christian Fellowship again. Nice. You know, not really understanding so much that walk as it is. You know, this is what you grow up doing, so that's sort of what you're supposed to do, right? Um, but not really that great a student. I mean, I I was okay, I guess, but not. I wouldn't even say I was okay. I wasn't that great a student. 
what were some of the other distractions? Were you involved in sports, music, theater? You mentioned campus uh, uh, involvement in your in fellowship and so forth. But what were what are the kinds of things in high school were you involved with? Oh, in, in high schools, every club coming and going. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, with from 4-H to Beta Club to whatever it happened to be. I mean, in a small rural area, that's what you do. I mean, right, you're just sure. involved in all kinds of things like that. Right, in college, right. it was more, there's just things to do. You know, right. there's a there's a movie theater to go to. There's a, uh, at the University of North Carolina, there was always a sporting event to go to. And uh, so I love sports. And so it was wonderful to particularly basketball. Big to, basketball team, oh, that's oh, right. Oh, wow, I, I love basketball. <laughs> that's a beautiful campus. Our daughter looked at UNC and, and Duke, and we spent a good oh, a week or a half or so down in that part of the country. Beautiful down there. Well, we tend to think so. Yeah, no, absolutely. Boating obviously came into your life, uh, uh, certainly through your work. Was that an early interest as well, or did that come a little bit later? That really came a little bit later. Uh, my dad had a small uh, boat yeah. that he uh, shrimped on, and it was a little 17-foot boat, and it okay. had a well in the middle of it, and he pulled a little shrimp net, and I think it was an escape from everybody uh, when he could go out <laughs> on the boat. But when I met Owen, um, Owen was a big boater. So that's how we spent time in our dating. You know, he and his dad owned a boat together, so we spent our time on the boat. And so that really introduced me to recreational boating and, and, and fishing. And before you started the business, were there entrepreneurial things that you did as a kid? Uh, you know, were you involved in, in, in things, high school and college, that, um, you know, kind of uh, preceded your, your, you know, starting up Regulator Marine or, or other types of uh, entrepreneurial things that you got involved with younger? I don't really think of anything as being entrepreneurial. I think when you yeah. live in the country, you kind of figure things out and have to do things. But right. um, I, I don't really think that there was anything entrepreneurial. I think that probably the the whole idea of, of doing something was really coming from Owen and starting. Okay. He wanted he wanted to uh, build a boat. So we started Regulator with building a boat and slowly there became opportunity to just develop things, you know, uh, we need to develop a market, we need to develop an accounting system, then um, Owen is a wonderful and great idea person. Mm. But it's how do you take uh, that and now make it where somebody else can do it? Uh, You know, obviously, you didn't want to build every book that came through the door. Um, And so it took that both of us coming together to take the talents that the Lord had given both of us mm. to figure out how to make Regulator successful. Yeah. So it's taking yeah. a, a great product and then building a, a great company around that product. Oh, yeah. That makes great sense. And did you meet in college or was it after you'd finished your university? After, actually, um, it was, I think, one semester I needed to finish one course to get get my degree. And Mm -hmm. I met Owen uh, when he was as a farm manager. So he'd come down to where I grew up in Hyde County, and he was managing a big corporate farm down there. And so we were um, 22, 23 years old and 25, so I think he was 24, and so we met about that same time. So it's a time in life when people are thinking about where's what's next, right? 
Right, absolutely. Well, and you studied history in college. Did you have something in mind that you wanted to do uh, while you're you're obtaining your degree? I did. I thought I wanted to go to law school, but uh-huh. I didn't. I didn't work hard enough and get good enough grades, so it was. Right. It didn't work out for me to do that, and so here I am at regulator. Yeah. So was that kind of the first job then out of college when you and Owen met and got the business started right away, or were there no. other things that you did beforehand? There were other things. Um, I met Owen when I was, I had two jobs going at the same time. I was working um, as a bookkeeper. My mother had been a bookkeeper for this okay. produce company. And so she was working as postmaster and she was the interim. And so she said, you know, I don't know if they're going to hire me or not. So I need <laughs> to get this job covered. So I was like, oh, well, I don't know anything about this. She said, I'll teach you. And so she did. So I learned a lot of very practical things that, you know, are are very simple things that apply to any business. Right. So I learned them in that process. Well, at the same time, I was also working for the ASCS, which is a government job, agricultural stabilization and conservation. So Owen would have to come in and register his crops for the mm. corporate farm. So uh, he made a lot of trips to the ASCS office. <laughs> Particularly after meeting you the first time, I'm yes, sure. Yes, yes. <laughs> what were some of those lessons that mom taught you early on? That's really about keeping up with payroll. So if you really want to understand a payroll system, you run a weekly payroll, weekly payroll manually for over 50 people. Okay, when you when you do that, you understand a lot of things about number one how 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 the government side of that works, but also how important it is to make sure that everybody's payroll is accurate, because that's the that's the one thing that really uh, breeds distrust yeah, with employees. Well you that up. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. So if that payroll. If that payroll is not correct, uh, what happens is there's a distrust, not just with the payroll clerk, but everybody in management. Yeah, so yeah, it's, it's so true. I, I was literally doing payroll before the before the podcast today, so I can really <laughs> identify that with Joan. And you know, every every month, you know, I make sure I go through the register and you know the summaries and make sure all the numbers are right because yep. there's nothing worse than uh, destroying that. You can you can lose a lot of trust in a very short period of time. Absolutely. That's terrific. And when did you start uh, managing people? Was that uh, in one of those jobs or did that come later? It really came um, later. I I actually, after Owen and I were uh, first married, um, I worked some retail stuff and, you know, kind of looking, I would work for this lady and I was like, you know, there's these things you can do. It would make, you know, you'd want to turn this inventory. And it's like, we'll just put it in the back and wait till next year and bring it out you know it's like <laughs> you know these kinds of things and um and and because i have this degree in history that sure. uh, i i work for historic edenton giving tours and i always tell people it's my most fun and least paid job i ever had because i got to, <laughs> i got to meet with people and you know talk to people from all over the country that were traveling through here so it wasn't really a job that taught me business skills or anything but it certainly did hone some uh Interpersonal skills. Yeah, and customer service, I'm sure, oh, yeah. right? Working oh, yeah. with the public. Do you uh, still have a, a, a soft place in your heart for history? Do you do a lot of reading and so forth? Is that still something that's uh, important to you? I do have a soft place in my heart for history. And 
um, most recently, I've been reading more about World War II and uh, spending some time looking at Iwo Jima and Chicha Yima. So it's it's a, a very fascinating era. So I've been doing a little reading on that. So you and Owen met, uh, he got you out on the boat, you began making your first one. Now, was that making it for someone else or was that making the boat for, for the two of you? What was that first project? The first project was really a project for the public, but it wasn't okay. thinking like, oh, you know, this is going to someday be this company, a large company. It was maybe, you know, maybe a few boats or whatever, but it was a, a focus on making uh something that was beyond just one unit because in in order to build multiple boats we needed to build molds for those boats so that means building a wooden form which is called a plug and from that plug making a mold from that so the whole idea was we have to have a way to build multiples of something well did it kind of start as a hobby because he didn't come from the no. boat building industry, right? I mean, that was not his no. uh, family business or, or no. even his forte when you met. How did that come no. about? He always loved boats. And um, he was with a local boat company here in town for about 18 months. Very mm-hmm, short mm-hmm. period of time. And it became very evident that that company was... Uh, very rooted in the way it was doing business. It didn't want to look at anything new. Um, and they were building cutty cabin style boats and Owen had in his head and heart a center console. So um, it back up it, a little bit. Now you better tell me the difference between those because I'm not a boat person. <laughs> so you're throwing some terminology at me here. <laughs> a, a cabin boat is that it has more sleeping arrangements right. in it. And a center console is just basically an area where you operate the boat from the helm. Okay. And it may have a small compartment underneath of the helm. Uh, and some people, um, at the time we started Regulator, there were very few people that were actually putting a bathroom on a boat. A bathroom oh, is really? referred to, is called a head. You're right, right. So there were very few people putting a head in. And so mm. we um, we ended up uh, putting a head in the boat and it sort of set the standard, the the first boat that we built the 26 the first model not the first boat but the first uh, model that we built it really set a standard for center consoles that really stands even today wow and do you do both center consoles as well as cabin boats now no we only in at regulator do center consoles the other company that owen was with um had no interest in in a center console right so it. it really opened the door for us to uh kind of step out when you're 28 and 30 years old you don't know what you don't know so <laughs> i mean if no somebody kidding. yeah it's just like if somebody says no you say okay well that's fine the next yeah. person will say yes and so you you really just have drive that i think and really what do you have the risk at that age um right exactly the, the, the older that we get the more things we all seem to accumulate so that's right it it tends to be that there are more things at risk for decisions made so the two of you late 20s early 30s um with a center console you're kind of limited in size right you don't go more than what 24 30 feet long or well, do you actually the design parameter around that boat was twenty three to twenty five feet. It turned out to 25. be a yeah. It turned out to be a twenty six, 
Okay. Uh, today, there are boats that are 60 feet long being pushed by outboard motors. Wow. That are uh, center console only. Yes. Yeah. And, the, and the, because the boat now has gotten larger, there's more room underneath the console and there are actually sleeping quarters underneath. We do that with our 34 and 41 foot models um, uh, now. Uh, but the limiting factors were the fact that there wasn't horsepower large enough to push these bigger boats. So now it. they're now, now, they're, now they have that. Yeah, now there fantastic. is. So so got the first couple of boats out. You obviously had some success. Gosh, how many years later now? How many employees? How, how big are you folks? <laughs> uh, we have about 230 people. Wow. Fantastic. And uh, yeah, we've built roughly 5,000 boats at this point. My and goodness. Uh, so they Fantastic. vary in size from 23 to 41 feet. Right, right. Great. And when did you know you were successful? Honestly, when we floated the first boat. Really? Really? Be- because it performed better than we ever dreamed it would. Yeah. It, it ran over 50 miles an hour with twin 200 outboard engines on it. And it floated upright and it did all the things it was supposed <laughs> to do as a boat. So, uh, yeah, that was, we, we've often looked back and we say, you know, that is the day regulator was success. That's fantastic. And did you have a staff at that stage? Did you have uh, contractors that were building it? I mean, how much were you and Owen directly involved in the, in the molding as well as the, the building of the boat? Well, Owen was much more involved in the actual building of the boat itself. I, I've right. spent three weeks sanding as we prepared the mold, the wooden mold, wow. the wooden plug for the mold. And I wow. said, you know what? There's something else I can do for this company, but I can promise you it is not sanding on this plug. <laughs> because you, uh, had your, you had your share of sanding. Yeah. I had my share because there's a big, there's a big long board, which is what we call the torture board. It's like three feet long and it's weighted so that when you're sanding on this, this plug, you make sure that you have no ripples or edges in it because you're going to make the mold off that so any imperfection in that plug is going to transfer to that mold so uh we considered it a success when we floated the boat and it was just incredible Mm. that's fantastic and then did you add employees pretty much straight away did you get other orders that came right on the back of that well we actually had added a few employees along Mm -hmm. the way our our first employee we still laugh about this kid um he came to work for us because he had he had done a, a got involved with some pranks in town. It wasn't anything <laughs> horrible, but his dad was a little bit concerned that he had a little too much free time. Mm-hmm. And our and our first building where we were building was located right across from the high school. So this kid would walk across from uh, from school and and go to work. So he would uh, be out of trouble. That's right. And our. Our next employee was a kid that, again, the dad kind of stepped in on. (laughs) Uh, This kid was in college, and he had uh, failed his first semester. So his dad wanted wanted to teach him about hard work. So we we really laugh about this kid. He he went all the way through college. He worked a semester and then decided that college was not a bad deal. And so he went went back to school and was like top of the class dean's list or something. He did well. Bottom line is he did well after his time at Regulator. So we added more people on. We also added on 
other skilled people. Right. Because um, certainly I had no boat building skills, but uh, Owen had limited boat building skills and woodworking skills. So we found some craftsmen in the area that that helped us to get started. We've been in this current location since 1990. So we, when we came over here, we probably had about 13 people when we came here. Now, I, I assume Owen was a believer when you met. Is that correct? Yes, he was. He was. And, he, and you and I met through C12, Group C12, which obviously is a, you know, a Christian uh, business owners organization. What was, was Christ involved in the business? Did you bring him in early on uh, as it relates to kind of you guys getting started? Or is that something that's evol- evolved over time? Um, we brought him in, but I don't think we brought him in um, as, a, as a full partner. I think what we probably, well, maybe that's a better way of looking at it. We probably brought him in as a partner instead of as the CEO. Ah, right, right. Got it. And so as as the business has grown and as our faith has grown, we've seen how much better life is Mm. when when we listen to his leading and not our own. And when did that really kind of take place? Was that with your C12 membership? Did that kind of, you know, kick in at that time? Or had you two been working on that prior to coming into C12? We had been working on that prior to coming into C12. And so C12 just helps us take tools that uh, that that we learn or I learn uh, every month and bring back in. Right. Uh, we have yeah. right now two of our um, members from our executive team are in the key players group and oh fantastic in, in january uh we'll add another person um, right right in at that point now have you kind of been co-ceos have you always been ceo or have you guys changed roles over the years how's that evolved in a husband and wife team um our our roles have changed as time's mm-hmm. gone on initially owen was the president for about eight nine years and okay. um then Really, I was the face of regulator. So I was the person that was out calling on the dealers, seeing the dealers, right. being involved in the industry events. And uh, we had a salesman at that point in time, and he said, why is Joan not the president? Hmm. And we both said, hmm, uh, that makes sense. So <laughs> yeah. we just, you know, did a little little bylaw change, and there we go, right? Yeah, and are you a... Uh- a woman-owned business, did you go through that transaction no. as well, or did you not need to do that? We yeah. did not need to do that. And actually, I'm not even sure we had to do a bylaw change. I know it's in their minutes, our our, right, um, right. our annual meeting minutes. And how long has that been that you've been president then? Over 20 years. Oh, right. Okay. So the, the, the lion's share. How would you say your leadership style has evolved over that time, Joan? I think my leadership style has changed to uh, trust the people put in place. Mm. And uh, making sure that I'm not second guessing their decisions, asking them questions, right? the appropriate questions, I hope, but asking them questions. And uh, I really have to work on not going around them because I mm-hmm, have a mm-hmm. desire to solve a problem quickly. Because right. if I solve it quickly, then that means something else can get done. So I have to uh, be careful not to run over people. Yeah, yeah. The uh, idea is to hire good people and let them do their job, right? Correct. How do you decide when it's time to kind of micromanage somebody, or when it's time to stay out of their sandbox? You know, that's a difficult question because each each situation varies on doing it. I think when that's 
when I see things that will have longer term uh, effects on regulator and its dealer network, I will tend to jump faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's an internal issue that we're we're helping somebody to learn a skill and uh, they're not going to be forward facing with our customers or with our uh, our dealers, then I'll tend to be a little slower Hold on back the response on that. Yeah, yeah. Let them let them let them make a mistake or two as long as it's not um, too bad a mistake <laughs> or a customer facing one. Right. That's right. That's exactly right. If it's something that's going to affect the image of regulator, I'm very quick. Uh, to step in on that. My dad used to tell us, I have given you a good name and it's up to you to keep it. Mm, um, so, like that. yes, and it, it is a very powerful thing to think about of, of a, a legacy and a responsibility that is ours as um, operators and owners of God's right. company here. Right, right. Um, and also when we put his name on, so we say this is a Christian company then uh, we have to make sure that the things that we say are the things that we walk. Yeah, people look very closely at that. Yes, they do. Is that something that you, um, in your mission and your core values, communicate to folks that are in the company and or that you're recruiting? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, our mission is to build the, the best center console sport fishing boats with people, process, and resources to honor mm-hmm. God. Nice. So that's that's throughout our website. It's um, everything that we have printed out on our boards. We have information boards where people meet every day. So every different team has what's called an SQDIP. It's safety, quality, right. delivery, inventory, and productivity. So at these boards every day, uh, one of the things that are discussed are the either a core value for the day or the vision and mission. And so do you think that helps you as well in terms of recruiting? You know, do people self-select because you know they know you're a faith-based company? Some do, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what it's also been a real test for us, uh, Brand, is to make sure that we don't, do not let a qualification get above a, a walk. And mm. so... Uh, we really look at, and, and the vice versa of that, you know, you can have somebody who's got a, an incredible walk with the Lord, but they're not capable to do the job. Right. So it's, it's marrying both of those things together. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, what, what really is exciting is when we can find somebody who has both of those things and we go, yeah. yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Bingo. Double check, double box. Yes, you are the right person <laughs> in the right seat on our bus. I love it. Tell me a little bit about, you know, building your company culture. You know, at first it was you and Owen, and then you had, you know, a couple of kids from the high school who needed some straightening out. And then, of course, you added some folks that were, you know, expert, you know, uh, boat builders, I'm sure, over time. And, of course, yes. you've expanded it. T- tell me a little bit about how the, the, com- the company culture has evolved. The company culture evolves. Well, basically for us around establishing that vision and and mission and figuring out ways to communicate that. So it's not just a matter of let's read it off the card uh, every day, but what does that mean to us? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how do we live it out in what we do? 
you know, when we, we start talking about personal accountability, what does that mean? Yeah. So yeah. living it out, what does it mean to be a good steward? So living it out. So as far as teaching that culture, it's a matter of reinforcing it in many ways communications with people that we write or a reminder when we have a company meeting, um, what that means. Uh, and we encourage um, our folks to understand that we build a product that is a very unique product in that we get to build it for a great customer. So we encourage our part, part of our culture is also that we are open and friendly. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that when people come in, um, that we we recognize that the people doing the work, wherever we are in this plant, are the experts. So that person doing that job knows more about that job than I do. And they should. Right. It's their job. Right. So to when we have people come in, it's to say, okay, Cindy, tell tell this gentleman what you're doing. Or... Jim, I'd like to introduce you to Darren. Let me show you what Darren's doing, or Darren, right. better yet, you tell him what you're doing. Mm. So that culture of you're the expert, you share it, and we and people come through here all the time, and they they talk to us about how friendly and nice our people mm. are here. Yeah, yeah. and and well, they they are because they're encouraged to be, right? And they are right. naturally. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's interesting you say that. I remember John Nordstrom, the um, the son of the Nordstrom, uh, you know, uh, department store chain, which of course is very big on the West Coast. I don't know if you've got any Nordstroms down in North Carolina, but they're really we known do. for their customer service. And uh, you know, he was asked one time, you know, well, how do you how do you train? How do you develop these people? You know, what do you do? They're such good in customer service. He goes, train and develop. He said they were raised that way. Yeah. You know, and, and he was a good recruiter, right? You know, he was able to find the people that had that type of up, upbringing. So that kind of leads me to my next question. You know, uh, Joan, wh- what do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in? Well, I look at, at first of all, we talked about skill sets, and we also yeah. talk about whether they're a cultural fit. Um, right. I will tell you, in our customer service area, we have an incredible guy who's head of that, that department. And Al has what I call the heart of a servant, mm. because whatever it is, um, he's going to jump in and help. So if, if he sees somebody walking through the front office and they've got arm loads of stuff, how can I help you? So his how can I help you lives in every aspect of his life. Right. So when we're looking for people, it really depends upon what the position is that we're looking for them to do. So the most important thing that we want to look for is do they have the skill set and do they have a heart mm. for the Lord? Yeah, yeah. And especially that becomes the higher up in the level of the company becomes more and more important because they are leading and influencing people. 
Well, Joan Maxwell, the time has just flown by. Thank you so much for providing your insights. There's always one last question, though, that we ask. And, you know, what kind of career and life advice would you give to someone that, you know, has their eyes on becoming president, maybe uh, after their husband has served for a while or maybe before he or she does? And, uh, you know, or perhaps, you know, to become an entrepreneur like you. What, what, what kind of things uh, someone's maybe 10, 15, 20 years behind you in their career, would you, would you tell them about that? And, you know, what kind of advice? advice and counsel and direction would you provide? I would tell them to be very diligent to find answers. So Mm. to not take the easy answer for somebody who comes in and just says, I can't do it. There's always a way that something can be done. So it's figuring it out. So not do not give up uh, because there'll be days as an entrepreneur that you'll want to give up or you'll want to sit in the C-suite. You'll want to give up. Um, but the reality is that that passes very quickly. Right. Uh, though, so I would say be determined mm. and um, to be continually learning about whatever area of focus yours is. If you mm. want to, um, if you want to be the president of a company, you need to be the expert on every aspect of that business. Right. You don't have to do it all. Right. But you need to know how it's done. So I don't know if that helps anybody. Amen. But that's what I would give them. <laughs> well, Joan Maxwell, president of Regulator Marine, thank you so much for sharing your story into the corner office. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.